if you go back where we went through the politically correct thing mm-hmm. yeah. and why I think that the importance of it got lost because the PC meant that if you're a woman of color, I can't really ask you about your experience as a white guy. So what I'm going to do is be quiet because I don't want that to somehow feel disrespectful. However, the problem with it is, is that it, it, it really delimited the conversation. Midlife ladies. This is the Dear Midlife Podcast. Unapologetic girl talk that will help you remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become. I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired woman full of sass, sparkle, and a heavy dose of black girl magic. So grab a glass and let's dive into the messy middle. Girl... You and I, we have been single a long ass time. A long ass time. Too damn long. Too damn long. And let's face it, building intimate connections and relationships at this age, honey, it ain't easy. It ain't easy. No. So listen, I was thinking the other day that there must be some secret or some special sauce out there that makes it easier to connect with people. There has to be. You know what? There is. There is. What? I know. It's called emotional intelligence. Mm. And our guest today, Dr. Patrick Kilcar, is a Georgetown University professor, therapist, and author of the book, leading an emotionally intelligent life. And he is here. Oh my God. This is one of my favorite conversations to take us on a masterful journey into the power of emotional intelligence. I literally have goosebumps on my body right now. I can see them from here. (laughs) Well, listen, I mean, so listen, I have been wondering that it, If they say that emotional intelligence is the secret to unlocking personal transformation, right? And er everybody reaching their full potential, then why are there so few personal guides around how we actually can do it? How to do so? Yeah. Well, enter Dr. Patrick Kilcar. He has literally dedicated his life, y'all, to studying and teaching emotional intelligence. And then his latest book, which is called Leading an Emotionally Intelligent Life, Expanding Your EI to Make Courageous Decisions and Transform Your Life. This is actually the guide that you have been looking for, that I have been looking for. Ding, ding. And Dr. Kilcar, I'm gonna call him Dr. K, closes the gap between what is written about emotional intelligence and demonstrates what it looks like, what it feels like to achieve it and to maintain it, especially if our formative years were paved with drama and with trauma and with disappointment. Mm, Which I don't know one person on the face of this planet. Thank you. Formative years were not paved with drama, trauma, disappointment. So yes. Amen. This conversation was really thoughtful. I guess I wouldn't expect anything less from a man that studies emotional intelligence. But, you know, it was riveting in the way that Dr. K gets us to think about the power 
of emotional intelligence. And to mm. tell you the truth, you know, like I said, I'm not surprised. He is one of the leading experts in emotional intelligence. He's been the director of Georgetown University's Center for Personal Development since 1999. Wow. Yeah. Party wow. like is 19. Hey. I always got to break into song when it is. I miss Prince. Bring him oh, back, no. Dr. Oh, K. No. Bring him back. All hail Prince. He is Dr. K. Back to Dr. Kilkar. The man known as Dr. Kilkar is a master trainer in emotional intelligence and he certifies professionals to use his tool, the EQI 2.0, baby, mm. which is one of the most valid and reliable self-assessments of emotional intelligence. And all of this work is directed towards strengthening the individual with respect to his or her innate talents and abilities. And, and here we thought we had to start a damn podcast to build connections with you ladies out there. But since I mentioned it, we do want to connect with you. Ladies, you know we love you. And we hope that you love Dr. Patrick's message in this episode about how powerful emotionally intelligent connections can be. We want you to join the conversation. So leave us a review and join our Facebook group. And now please settle in, girls to enjoy this conversation with Dr. Patrick Kilkar. Today, we welcome to our show, Dr. Patrick Kilkar. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> thank We're you. so glad you're here. Yeah, thank you so much. We thank are you. so glad that you're here and you're here today to discuss with us the concepts of emotional intelligence. And I am giddy with excitement about this conversation <laughs> because it's something that I personally am very passionate about. But for our listener out there who may not be familiar with the concept or the, the notion of emotional intelligence, can you please share with our listener what exactly is emotional intelligence and how do we put this intelligence wow. to practice? It's a great question because I don't know if there's like a Webster's dictionary definition of it, right? <laughs> right. Because different people call it different things. They involve different parts of what intelligence and emotion is about. For me, it's very simple. And it's how do I, Patrick, understand the emotions that go into my life day to day, moment to moment? And how do those emotions impact the relationships in my life? Mm. And how do the emotions of the people in my life affect me? And, you know, if you think about, you know, almost everything we do at some level involves some aspect of emotion. Mm -hmm. And the key is, is when we, the, the thing that we hear about all the time now is being triggered. And I, yes. I think it's a, it's a great term because it makes a lot of sense. When we get triggered into this space where our emotions just stay a step ahead of us, that's where the, this notion of understanding emotional intelligence it's important because if I'm yelling at my child or I'm yelling at my spouse or I'm losing my mind in a staff meeting and yelling at other people, <laughs> yeah, that's not going to go very far. And what it does is, and, and this is the kind of thing that you talk about, you know, with your fan base all the time it, is we want to be different parents if we are parents to our children than in many ways our parents were to us. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen unless we really understand where are we in our emotional world. 
And just before coming on, I got an email from a former client who actually is in the book. And she said, you know, of all this time of, of trying to practice being centered and trying to, you know, use meditation, she has three kids and, and their three, her three kids are, you know, really lively. <laughs> I mean, mm. they apparently have a, a huge amount of energy, but there are certain things that the kids do that trigger her into a very dark space. Mm -hmm. And so what she's done, you know, obviously before me, but then during our time together, was how do you recognize it coming? And what I mean by that, imagine if the three of us put our ear to a train track. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't hear it. We don't hear the train. We don't see the train, but you can feel the vibration. Mm -hmm. That's what you want to pay attention to. We can feel when things are building up. We can feel when we're about to be pushed to a place that's not healthy for us. The key is what do we do when we're feeling it? I mean, does yeah. that kind of make sense? Yes. You know, let me ask you. Mm -hmm. it, so all of us midlifers, right? Most of us are, are of this Gen X persuasion. And we just, we're kind of raised different, right? We come yeah. from a different stock of, of, of folks. And I'm, I'm damn near triggered every time I hear the word about somebody being triggered. Because it feels like this over usage right. these days of the word triggered. And like, right. I, I feel like I have to walk on eggshells all the time because everybody mm. has this trigger where I'm like, when we we're growing up, it was like, put some spit and some dirt in it and let's, <laughs> right. That's move it. On, let's go put on your big girl it. panties and move on with it. Chick. Yeah. 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 That, that, I mean, it. what is this? What is this phenomenon? And I, am I just insensitive? Do I not get it? I mean, are, are things different now? Well, I, you know, it's a really great question because if, if you go back, remember, we went through the PC, the politically correct thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And why I think that those who were coming up with that kind of had their eye on something important, the, the importance of it got lost in everything because it, the, the PC meant that if you're a woman of color, I can't really talk to you or ask you about your experience as a white guy. So what I'm going to do is be quiet because I don't want that to somehow feel disrespectful or you know, trigger you or push you in a mm -hmm. direction. However, the problem with it is, is that it, it, it really delimited the conversation about, yeah, you know, who, yeah, who are you? Mm -hmm. I mean, what is, what is life like for both of you mm -hmm. um, as women, as women who have kind of traveled their own path, who in the book, I, I kind of talk about this thing in the beginning of the book, actually, where I'm presenting to this class and it's a philosophy class. And the professor called me up kind of unhinged because mm -hmm. there, it was a gen ed, 250 students. And she asked them a question about when was a time that you were in pain in your life and what did you do with it? How did you kind of fix it or whatever? And she got of the 250, 50 responses came back of students that were in genuine pain at, at that moment. Mm. And she did not know what to do. So I walked in and I asked their permission to talk about a few things that would involve what they were saying in their papers, but no identifying information. And to be able to kind of give my ideas about things that are going on. And I said, you know, you look around this room of students that are, are here at Georgetown University. And what are your conclusions? You're smart, mm. probably mm -hmm. top of your class. You know, all of these things that are probably very flattering, 
But what they don't see is exactly what you're saying. They don't see what it took to get to this moment in time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and those are the pieces where, you know, this notion of triggering and Trinity, you're exactly right. I think that this is, this is, it's a big piece that the triggering of the PC keeps us from being able to ask questions that allow us to know someone. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I'll share this with you too, that my best buddy is African-American and has been for many years, fortunately. <laughs> but, but when uh, George Floyd was murdered, hmm. the next day I called him up and I said, you know, I don't, I don't exactly know how to kind of talk about this, but I said, you know, in all these years of being together and being friends and, and relying on each other, you know what, I, and I, again, I don't know how to say, it, but I never even asked you, mm-hmm. what is it like being a black man in the world today? Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, never once. Wow. And what he said to me, it, 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 this is an emotionally intelligent guy who's mm-hmm. just, you know, he's, he's just such a, a loving man. But he goes, you know, Patrick, it may be that in our relationship, that's something that didn't need to be discussed. He said, I, I don't know. But if you want to know what it's been like, I can give you an example from yesterday. Wow. Yep. And he and his wife walked into a high-end store together and she was looking for a dress. Mm-hmm. And they came in on the right side of the doors and a white couple came in on the left side of the doors and they walked in. And then as they began looking, these three security guards came up behind them. Yeah. Right. And tracked them through the store until the white guy and his partner turned and said, what are you doing Mm. to these three security guards? One of whom was Mm African-American and it, it turned into this thing that then turned into a conversation that none of them ever would have had, had it not been for that moment. Mm-hmm. But I'm hearing this and I just- Well, let's be clear that they wouldn't have had, had they it wouldn't not have. been for those white patrons speaking up because if the black patrons speak up and say something about it, then it's an entirely different conversation mm-hmm. and Correct. one that's often viol- volatile, violent, or worse. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And you know, I'm hearing this and I just, I feel, I just want to cry because of, all these years, spending time, knowing each other, but me only knowing part of of what it's about. And so it's that piece of, it goes back to what is emotional intelligence? Mm. I mean, it's not that we get things right every time. I mean, I, I think emotional intelligence, it's a moving target. And it's something we strive toward as much as we can. But it's that piece of understanding what we're feeling, our emotions, and particularly those of other. Mm. And how do we talk about it when my wife and I, I tend to be, you know, more animated than she mm-hmm. is with our kids. And she's really, she's wonderful because if, if I start getting kind of wound up, she, she has this look and she looks at me <laughs> and she goes, come on. And I go, okay. I just, you know, I, I roll around, I breathe through my nose, I do the yoga thing. And, right. and, and then I, you know, I come back as dad, but it, it's, it's just, it's this constant thing. Somebody said to me recently, you know, you wrote a book about emotional intelligence. Are you, are you really, are you really an emotionally intelligent person? 
Yeah, I said, it depends on what day of the week. In fact, yeah. it depends on what time during the day. And, right. you know, he kind of thought that was funny, but I, I meant it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I well, you're it. a human being first. That's what it comes to, right? We're all human yes. and we all make mistakes. Right, um, right, right. But I think maybe what I hear you saying is that emotional intelligence is a self-awareness of when those mistakes happen. How do I course correct so in that moment, you get to make a decision. If you, you know, are over animated, if you will, with your children and your wife right. says, Hey man, let's come on. And you, you have a, a choice in that moment to say, ah, you're right. I, I need to go do my breathing. I need to step away and then come back in a different, you know, mindset, or I can proceed in the way that I am. So you get choice in that situation. And that's a really fascinating thing too, is understanding how your emotions could potentially impact the other party and being aware of that is so fascinating to me because a moment ago, I wrote this question down, who is responsible for the emotional intelligence? Mm. Is it the sender of the message? Or is it the receiver of the message? Am I responsible for the fact that you get triggered because of something that I said that I had no idea what you're thinking in your own mind? Or is it the receiver of that message to be able to understand, ah, this is a trigger. What's going on here? Do I need to step away as the person being triggered and catch my breath? And who's responsible for that in, in the end? And, and how do those dynamics play together? That's yeah. so fascinating. I think it, it is fascinating. It's that piece of, okay, with what you're saying, you put in that part of intention. Mm, yeah. What's the intention? Is the intention to make someone feel bad? Is the intention to make someone feel inferior or or? superior depends on kind of what's going on it i the the question's a great one because i think we have to be responsible for our own stuff Mm -hmm. that's it you know so if i said something that bothered one of you two and i said it from a place of ignorance and it exists and because and maybe it wasn't something that was an ism like a sexism thing or a Mm -hmm. racism thing it was Mm -hmm. more just not not being aware type of thing. What's my responsibility at that moment is to be able to see that I just said something. I don't know exactly what happened, but what I said made someone uncomfortable. And then you ask, so, you know, did did what I just say, it seems like it made you uncomfortable, did it? And you can say yes or no, or whatever the case is. That's that piece of being aware and tuned into other people's yeah. behaviors and, and what they're feeling. You know, I, I also talked to a woman today who is 46, grew up with a horrendous mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, something that like a bad B-movie mother type thing. <laughs> and she said to me today, my daughter, she has a daughter who's 12. She said, my daughter started doing something this morning. I could feel it coming up. For me, mm. I, I, she goes, it was like this raging river coming up. I felt it in my throat. And at that moment, she said, Patrick, your voice was in my brain. Mm. And the voice was, what are you going to do? Mm. And she said, I did to that little girl exactly what my mother did to me. Mm. Is I shamed her beyond belief. Mm. And I looked at her and I said, 
how do you repair that? She goes, I don't know, other than I came back in the room and the daughter was crying. I knelt down, I held her. And I said, the only thing I ask you to forgive me for is being an imperfect human being. And I said, I don't know how you do it better than that. I don't, other than not to do it. And, yeah. but, you know, going back to Shelby, what you're saying, look, we're human beings. We're going to get mad. We're going to get upset. We're going to be misunderstood. And, you know, how do we manage it? And that's, that's why if, if people take time and they look at this book, the Leading an Emotionally Intelligent Life book, that the power of the book isn't about my thoughts or what I think emotional intelligence is, or you know the seven steps to being an emotionally intelligent person. That right. It's where you watch people that come in and they take this instrument, the EQI, but the book is not so much about the EQI. It's about these 15 competencies that we operate out of every day, black, white, big, small, it doesn't matter. We all operate out of it. Mm -hmm. And you, you, you watch these people go, you know what? I don't want to live my life this way anymore. And mm -hmm. I'm going to make a change. But understand something. The most courageous people I see are people that come into therapy or coaching or, or counseling, and they begin making changes. The reason why it's courageous, because I had somebody say to me recently, you know what? Because I asked him, I said, do you really want to make these kind of changes? He said, look, don't misunderstand me. I don't want to change a damn thing. Nobody does. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Right. The world would be a better place if everybody else would change. But it, it, it's that piece where he goes, because this bullshit in my life yep. got me here, you know, my not being overly understanding or being not really emotionally independent. And what that means, let's say the, the three of us are on a team and uh, Trinity, you have to make a decision. It, Shelby and I give you our ideas. You take it, you mull it over, you think about it, you kind of see how it all fits together and then you make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. low, low kind of emotional independence is that person doesn't care what anyone else says. It's what he or she thinks and feels, and that's the way it's going to be. Mm -hmm. So the world is shut out. But this guy said, look, I, I don't know any other way to do it. And I said, well, okay. But up to this moment, from one to 10, one being not at all, 10 being completely, how successful relationally has this been for you? He goes, why do you think I'm here? Right. <laughs> Because it hasn't been, you yeah. know, I've been married more times than I want to admit. I have children that I don't see. And it went, and he went on and on. And he takes the EQI. We look at these 15 competencies and life begins to change. Mm. And, and that's the piece for me. If you, and you have, both of you have talked with therapists and coaches, you know, whether they admit it or not, those of us in the mental health world, you both are in the leadership world. So mm -hmm. you're going to understand this too. We're looking for the Holy Grail. Mm -hmm. That one right. thing that we can take and is going to make the biggest shift and change in the collective lives that we interact with. It doesn't exist. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it just doesn't exist. It's more of when we find something and, you know, the three of us look at it and go, wow, you know, that is pretty remarkable. 
And I think I have, I think I have an idea about how that may be helpful with other people. The Holy Grail, it's not. However, an opportunity to maybe be supportive in ways I haven't been before, that begins to happen. You bet. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's funny. You just, you have my brain just kind of swimming in circles mm. here as I think about us. Me and Shelby, women in in midlife, and and so many of our listeners are baby girls who are out there that have gone through so much, and we we really have kind of reached this point in our lives where we have played the emotional martyr, and we have played the role of everybody's emotional savior, and we are the emotional um, well that everyone comes to drink from. And you know, I, I look at the title of your book leading an emotionally intelligent life, expanding your EI to make courageous decisions and transform your life. Dr. Patrick, this is where we are right now. We are at this stage where we need to make some courageous decisions and transform our lives to move from this emotional state that we have been stuck in, that we've been forced in, that we have been pigeonholed into, the majority of our lives into this space where we're wanting to unleash our emotions to live free and authentically and to be that example and role model for our babies and to show the world that we can step out and we can do hard things. We can do great things. We can be who we are and be a better version of ourselves if we are not living this emotional entanglement in order to please everyone else around us. So how do we start to get there? How do we start to make that type of through mm-hmm. personal transformation in an wow. emotional space to free ourselves and start living. I mean, I hope everybody that's listening here, this is how you do it. You go, okay, you step back, you look at your life, you kind of follow the historical threads of mm-hmm. who you are, what's brought you to this moment in time. And you go, these parts of my life feel very fulfilling. Yeah. These parts of my life don't. How do I cross over to kind of expand most of the way I live my life day to day so it, it, it embraces and encompasses what I want? Yeah. You know, this, this podcast, it's an existential support group <laughs> for all these people around the world where they, they begin to go, you know what? I don't have to live on the margins. I right. don't have to live to please other people. And look at, this is gonna maybe, I'll probably get some hate mail on this one, but it that may, that also includes your children. Yes, and it does. Think, of, think about it this way, or this is the way I think about it, and I'm gonna share, see what you think. That if you go back to being in a long-term relationship with a partner, mm-hmm. all right, no kids, just, just you two. And it was, it's these two circles that overlap. Mm-hmm. And, there's the independent life of both of you. And mm-hmm. then there's this overlap that captures the, this kind of coalescing of love and abilities and talents. But what happens is when children come into the, the picture, this overlap and this strength does this. Mm, yes. And then in the middle is the child. These two are not connected anymore. Mm, yeah. At all. It's all about the kids. It's all about the kids. Yeah. So, and, you know, I I can't tell you how many men and women said, you know, I think there's a conspiracy going on. Mm -hmm. 
because nobody <laughs> tells you what it's really like having children. And then everybody says, I wouldn't give it up for the world. I just wish I had a better idea right. of, of what it was really going to be like. And, you know, how to I, navigate I, that and come out the other side whole. Well, mm-hmm. to, exactly. And to come out the other side, not only whole, but to come out the other side feeling um, creative, yes. feeling smart, mm-hmm. feel, you know, all these things that get dummy down. <laughs> they, it, suck, it, they suck it out of our <laughs> souls, Dr. Patrick. <laughs> well, they suck it out of but our it, souls. And sometimes I think they shine a light on or reveal to us maybe our own insecurities. Maybe we're reflecting back to when we were children and when we felt small. And now all of a sudden we've got this little human in our life and they make us feel inadequate. Like we're not doing it right. There's no manual that comes with them. And so I think there, it goes both ways that it does also. Yeah. They suck the life out of us. And we know we're not, I know I'm not a better person when I have no sleep and, you know, I'm stressed out all the time about paying the mortgage and feeding the kids and you know but also i think they might even shine this circumstance breeds this like mirror that reflects back to you your biggest weaknesses and that can be debilitating too oh well said i have a friend who was in the military he went through qualifying school to become a green beret he did and in that training there's something called hell week And in Mm. Hell Week, it's designed for one thing. It is six, seven days of complete um, deprivation of sleep. And to see who at the end, if you haven't become completely uh, situationally (laughs) psychotic, can you actually do what's expected of you? Not a lot of people can. Mm. He said to me, look, Hell Week was a cakewalk compared to being up every two hours. It's it's like, I don't want to go to sleep because I know I have to get up. And then, and then he goes, and that's me. I'm not breastfeeding. Look at my poor, right? Right. I, I went, you know, I hear you. I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's amazing. It is. I completely agree. And so then the question becomes, right. What are, how can we become more emotionally aware, emotionally intelligent? What are things that we can put to practice in daily life amidst all of the, (laughs) I'm going through an identity crisis. I'm struggling as a young mother and, you know, getting divorced, getting divorced, like continues to happen and we have to learn how to navigate that. And so what can we do to put this emotional intelligence to practice on a regular basis, despite, you know, all of the adversities that life was always throwing at us? Yeah. And it it is, I think part of what you both really are, it's like walking through a minefield and I don't mean to be dramatic about it, but in some ways it, it kind of feels like that, you know, to, to kind of step back and drill down a little bit farther in, in what you're saying, Shelby, there is this piece called well-being, right? Mm. I think it's one of the most overstated, misunderstood concepts that are out there today. Because well-being is different for every person. And what does it mean to feel kind of balanced? And, mm-hmm. and the book is about that. The book is about well-being. It's about balance. But to go to your question, if the, within this notion of emotional intelligence, there, is, there are four things 
that we really need to pay attention to in terms of are we living a balanced life? Are we in this place called well-being? And it starts with self-regard. How do, how do I feel in my own skin? Mm. Kind of self-esteem, how do I feel about who I am? And then kind of self-content, how do I feel about how people see me that comes together to create this kind of self-regard? Mm. Then there are relations, the relationships in our life. How strong are they? How strong aren't they? Uh, which ones are really problematic? And what are we doing about it? Hmm. And that's the piece. It's not the three of us plus, you know, the million people that are going to listen to this will absolutely identify with the fact that there's at least one person in our life that we struggle with. And absolutely. absolutely and that one person, it could be a parent, it could be a child, it could be a neighbor, it could be whatever. But that one person, even though it is just emotionally so taxing, that person is presenting an opportunity for our own growth. How do we deal with it? You know, what, what do we do with it? Well, as a culture, we often meet aggression with what? Aggression. aggression. Absolutely. So what does it do? It, yeah. And there you see the cycle just bouncing down the road for eternity. Right. It's, it's kind of more if we did it differently. If we didn't meet it with aggression, if we if we entered into it more with an open heart, mm. what would that look like? So there's the self-regard, mm. their relationships and how do they form in our life? Then the optimism, you mm. know, how optimistic are we? And what is up when you hear the word optimism, both of you, mm -hmm. what comes to your brain? What do you what do you see? What do you think? What do you feel? I feel light. I see light. And I think you are seeing the positive of what's seeing what's possible and living in the possible versus living in the impossible or improbable. Beautiful. Yeah. I like that idea of seeing what is possible. And, you know, what <clears throat> I was thinking about as you were speaking, it was really about giving people the benefit of the doubt as well in optimism is that I assume that the other person's intentions are positive and that this has the possibility of going in a positive direction, whatever is the conversation at hand. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the beauty of what you're both. It, it is. It's that piece of defining what our perspective is. I remember hearing Years ago, there was a dad that got onto a bus and he had his two children with him. And he's sitting on the bus and he's looking out the window and the kids are jumping from seat to seat, raising hell, running up and down the aisles. And then somebody in the seat in front of him turned and said, hey, why don't, can't you control your freaking kids? Just make them sit down. And the dad looked at the person and said, okay, uh, I'll ask him to sit down. And so they can think a little bit more about leaving the hospital where their mother just died. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. And it, it, would that help you? And it's that piece of perspective. Mm -hmm. And how are we really seeing what's going on? And in terms of the perspective piece, it's this. So there's the fourth part of all this is self-actualization but not in the way that we understand Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Remember that little triangle? Yeah. Survival down here, nirvana, self-actualization mm -hmm. up here, which apparently I just learned he didn't feel anybody could actually achieve. Which I probably, which Great, I probably thanks, kind of, thanks right. Maslow. Right, he, you know, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's going to be- I tell us. Right, asshole. that's a bridge too far, but you can look at it, you can see it. 
the self-actualization is, are we doing what we want to do in our life right now? And it could be, look, you two, you know, you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to go to your lives and affect people in many different ways that know you in that role of leader of, you know, what you do for the community, what you do for the organization. Some of them know you do this, but I don't know how many people really know what you do. And that this is a whole nother part of who you two are, that people, if they're paying attention, they can get some of it. But the piece that I think people really, I invite them to pay attention with you two, is that you're in this place of being two self-actualized individuals, arm in arm, moving towards, toward this vision that you share in common. That's being self-actualized. Yes, you get up and do your day job, then also that side hustle, gig, whatever you want to call it, that's there. And this allows you both to feel, okay, my talents are, are really being used in the way that I want, above and beyond even relationships. That's why, you know, what you're offering women who are going through their own midlife scenario, how they understand it, how they see it you're offering them lots of different boats to get into, to take them to these different locations and to believe that they can do it. How, what I don't know is how long have you two been doing this podcast? Uh, a year and almost four months. Okay. So before you had your very first kind of maiden voyage on air, okay. What kind of time went into preparing for this to happen? <laughs> There it is. Yeah, yeah. Significant. Yeah. Unbelievable. In, in terms of hearing one another, what does it mean? What does it mean to be two women? What does it mean to be a white woman and a woman of color? What is, I mean, it's all these different things that come together. And I bet the last little piece that you both kind of put on top of the cake was, can this allow us to be authentic, not only with each other, mm -hmm but with those we serve in this podcast, which are the women that listen to this. Yeah. And, but you, what you did is, you know, there was a, I, I don't know how long, obviously, but there's this long gestation period that went on before you gave birth to this thing. Mm -hmm. Most people, and this isn't the world according to me, I mean, it's really based on data. Most people, when they come up with an idea that really would allow them to feel far more self-actualized in their abilities, they quit. And they quit for very specific reasons. And it's not quitting with the, the big Q, like, oh, I quit. That something happens that feels just too big and that derails everything. Mm -hmm. And you know what would be interesting at some point is to hear a podcast on how you two made this happen. Hmm. Because that, that's wow. that, right? That's that piece. That's this powerful piece. And when I talk about, I don't know what I said, but existential support group or whatever, I'm serious. Yeah. Right? That the individuals listen to this, I, and I'm going to suggest male and female, listen to this and go, wow, can, can, I, can I push myself a little farther? Yeah. Or, and or where do I really find support? That's the key. That is the key. It is. And so uh, I'm not joking, by the way, about you doing a podcast on this. 
But you go back to the beginning and track how you did this and look at those markers of support. Uh, it, it's just enormous. I mean, it, it's absolutely enormous. Yeah. So to get back to this whole thing about well-being, right? Mm-hmm. If we feel stable in our lives, these four things are where we kind of want them to be, that I feel good about Patrick and and what I'm trying to do in the world, that my relationships are pretty good and I have an idea how to make them better. And that that's part of the journey I want to be on. I'm optimistic. You both said it brilliantly. I mean, that optimism is this pink feeling. It's this, <laughs> because I remember a story from years ago and it's being repopularized now, but when I heard it, it was just incredible. And it was, it's from American Indian lore. Hmm. And a, a granddad went on this journey with his granddaughter and his grandson. And they're down by a river and it's very loud. And the grandfather looks around and feels, this is the time to share with these two what is really going on with him. And so <clears throat> he looks at them and he says, I, I want to share something with you. And it's, I have a war going on inside of me. Hmm. And it's a war between two wolves. One is a kind, loving, open, beautiful wolf. And the other is mean-spirited, greedy, and treacherous. And so the, the grandson looks and says, well, who wins? Hmm. And he goes, the one you feed. Mm-hmm. And then the granddaughter went, what do you feed it? And he said, the beautiful, kind, loving wolf, you feed hope. Mm. The treacherous, mean wolf, you feed fear. Mm. And so much of what I see in my privileged chair, you know, (laughs) as a therapist or as a teacher or whatever, is so much of what we're about goes into that wolf of fear. Mm -hmm. And think about the different points along the journey of this podcast becoming real where that fear could have, could have really shut it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it didn't. It didn't. And I think it didn't because somehow, collectively, you two fed the wolf of hope. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because like this past year has been one of the hardest of my life. My son has been very sick off and on and it's, it took nearly a year, over a year actually, to get to an actual diagnosis that we could do something with. And he's doing really well now and is starting on some medication. I guess that's going to be next week, Shelby. How old old is he? He's 21. And he was just diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which was debilitating. Every Mm -hmm. few weeks he has had this terrible flare up. He lost a hundred pounds in less than a year. I mean, it was just, it was awful. And as I sit here and I'm thinking through this podcast and this journey, had it not been for the support of Shelby, this would not, I mean, I would have given up. I would have just thrown my hands up and walked away, unable to continue to do anything, but just survive in my current situation and state. But Shelby's, you know, tenacity and vision and hope and um, stick-to-itiveness has kept us Mm -hmm. going and moving forward. And her belief that 
Trinity's going to come out the other side of this and we're going to be good. And, and we're there, we're getting there and yeah. stepping into that motion now. So I just want to openly thank you, Shelby, for oh, being wow. that person that's support. And, um, you know, you're just without you, this would not be, we would not be at all. So I want to honor you and thank wow, you. Wow. Gosh, girl. Thank you. You're welcome. And I just am sitting here listening to what you're saying and what's really resonating with me is, you know, the power of that support Mm -hmm. and that in all that emotional intelligence that, you know, I understood that you had, you were depleted, you had a need, you needed to spend your time and focus. And again, it goes back to maybe optimism giving you the benefit of the doubt because I knew where you were because I could intuit that. I know you well enough as a friend. And I think, you know, on a broader scale, if we, you know, going back to the story of the the man on the bus with the boy, you know, if we look at a bigger, on a bigger scale, and we look at every single person as going through life, having to deal with something that we do not know. And I say this to my kids almost every day, you do not know their story. Mm-hmm. We don't know every single person's story. And if we can give them the same kind of compassion and empathy, and again, benefit of the doubt that they have probably something going on inside of them that I mm could never even imagine and give them a bit of grace and maybe ask them, you know, like you did, you said in the beginning, you asked your friend, how did it feel to you to be a black man? And we get curious about what's happening in the other person's life. And why did this trigger you? And what's going on with you? Maybe this world would be a better place. And maybe we would be able to elevate ourselves into a higher space of abundance and achievement if we just treated other people with kindness and compassion. And if anybody ever wants to know the definition of emotional intelligence, just put that sound bite together and send it out because that's it. Mm. That's it. I love it. Yeah. Wow. Oh, well, thank you. And I would love to know too, gosh, I just, I keep wanting to ask more questions because I think, you know, there's this conversation could just go on forever. Again, I'm just so <laughs> passionate about this topic, but if you could leave our listener, I know we're getting close to the end of our time together and we may actually have to have you back, but I would love That'd it if you could leave our listener with one tip about what they can do to implement emotional intelligence or to grow their emotional intelligence, what would you suggest they do? If people Please don't are, say journal. Please don't say right. journal. No, 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 no. I don't say what I don't do or because or, <laughs> I don't do that. No. It, so here's a piece though. If people are listening to this podcast, they're already, they're operating in a, in a zone of self-awareness that's, mm. that's different. Okay, that they're aware of self, they're aware of others, they want to be the best they can be. And they look for these, you know, the, these important pieces that you leave on your journey. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're not Hansel and Gretel taking them to some, <laughs> you know, right? It's that these are really important pieces for them to consider and think about and adapt and add to their life. And it's, if I could say, if I had a minute and all I could say was one thing within a minute, it would be this, to be able to step back and really know what 
their emotional constellation is about. Mm -hmm. What makes you happy? What makes you sad? What makes you feel connected to people? What doesn't? And what gets in the way of the things you wanna feel? If I wanna really feel sexy, am I doing the things that allow for that? Or am I saying to myself, again, feeding the wolf of fear, Mm. I'm not, I'm not sexy. I am 45 freaking ship. It sailed. Mm-hmm. Here I am on the dock. And if, you know, it's that old notion though, if we believe it, it's true. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's actually real or not. And mm-hmm. it, it's being able to be aware. How do these emotions affect me, Patrick, or how are they, the, the emotions I'm feeling, how do they, you know, attached to the people that are important in my life or people that I know in my life. I mean, the beautiful part here is that, um, and I think that most men would look at this and I would hope they would feel a little uncomfortable because they're not able to access that emotional piece that you two just did about, you know, gratitude. I mean, what I felt was this enormous gratitude. Mm -hmm. And, but to feel that emotion come up, you know, what keeps us from really being able to show the emotional response that we want appropriately, not screaming and yelling? Mm-hmm. I think that would be it. You know, just to be able to take time, close their eyes, you know, breathe yoga breathing kind of through your nose. You feel your diaphragm expand, your lungs expand like balloons. Then you exhale through your mouth. And as you're doing it, you're kind of allowing that exhale to take away any residual pain, any worry, any doubt, any stuff that gets in the way. And when you're breathing in this cool, soothing energy, just to be able to see in your mind's eye exactly the kind of person that you want to be. And if we're able to see it and it feels real, we can achieve it. If, yes. it's, if we can't see it, then it's going to be a little more elusive, I would think. Is that helpful? It's yes. beautiful. Okay. I loved the most that you said that emotions are allowed because as Trinity knows, <laughs> we always joke that I'm the crier, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I wear that with honor now. That's <laughs> right. That you know, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. As, and I'm just plain should. old loud. I'm just plain old loud. <laughs> but I would call that courageous because you're not afraid to allow your voice to be heard. Mm-hmm. But you know, here's the thing that you do, Trinity, and I just want to bring this to light as well, is that you always, always say things with love <clears throat> and with positive intention. And I think that goes back to what Patrick was saying earlier, which is if we can allow our feelings, thoughts, and emotions to be heard and to do that with a tone of positive intention and interest and curiosity, then there is so much power in the conversations that could be had in this world if we could share our voices in a way that was meaningful and thoughtful. Yes. Bravo. Bravo. I mean, it's that piece of allowing ourselves to be real with what we're experiencing and feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, growing. It's this piece. Well, if a girl cries or a woman cries, she's being, you know, overly emotive or overly sensitive. And it's just, 
I don't know how it happened, but it's really a disservice to who we are as people. Yes. Because it's this beautiful thing that somehow has been corrupted or has the, the power of being corrupted. And, you know, you two are just going, oh, hell no. This, <laughs> if you want to be real and, yep. you know, and be seen, be heard, then you've, you've got to be able to bring the emotions that align with that. Yes. And, then, and that's what you two are very clearly doing, which, mm. is, which is enviable, really. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you today. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. And if our listener wanted to find you, Dr. Patrick, where could they go and how can they get your book? Um, you can go to Amazon. Um, thank you for the, the book plug. That's very sweet. Um, <laughs> which is leading an emotionally intelligent life. Uh, Trinity did the whole thing. And it's like, by the time you get to the end of it, you forgot what the beginning was. It's a long title. So leading an emotionally intelligent life on Amazon and Kilt Carp, K-I-L-C-A-R-R-P at georgetown.edu. Throw me a note um, if, if I can be of any help or support. Perfect. Wonderful. Honestly, that has got to be one of my favorite conversations that we've had thus far. I mean, mm -hmm. this is what, 76 episodes in 78? Right. No, we need to celebrate this shit a little bit more. We do. That's a lot of episodes. Lot but of this episodes. one, this was a good one. This was a good one. This was a good one. And I know that you and I love to geek out on like all of this kind of stuff because it it transcends both our sad hustle and yes. our day job. Amen. So maybe that's why I'm like so geeked out right now. But as we always do, we want to share with you our top five takeaways from this amazing conversation with Dr. Yes. K. So number one, emotional intelligence is about understanding your emotions and how those emotions impact the relationships in your life. And conversely, understanding the emotions of others and how they impact you. Yes. And then second, with emotional intelligence, we're, we're really just trying to get ahead of those things that may trigger us emotionally. So to an extent, there's this emotional vibration that we begin to feel before the trigger occurs. And it's in those moments when we feel that rising up in us, where we have a choice about how to navigate what we know is about to come. Yeah, not always easy, but with no. a little practice. It's practice. It's practice. Everything yeah. is practice. And three, we are sometimes so overly cautious mm. about being politically correct, which I swear is a thing in today's society that it actually prohibits us from asking the tough questions to really genuinely and authentically get to know someone else. So yes. don't be afraid to ask that question. Yes. And this ties right in with point four, that when you actually do see an emotional cue from someone else, you have to open the dialogue with a question. So it could be something like, um, did I just do something to make you uncomfortable? Or conversely, when someone says something that actually triggers you, 
call attention to it. Invite it into the conversation. Don't walk away. Don't shut down. Don't ignore it. This is emotional intelligence, y'all. And the recognition that we're all imperfect, but that most people have good intentions. So let's talk about it when we make a mistake. Let's talk about it when we end up in these uncomfortable moments with one another because we're coming from a good place and we need to believe that and embrace that with one another because it's in that space where we can begin to make conscious, intelligent changes. Yes. And five, when we think about emotional intelligence, there are four things that indicate whether or not we are living a balanced life from mm. the space of emotional intelligence. That is our self-regard. It's the relationships that we have with others, our optimism, and what he calls self-actualization, which is, are we doing in the frame of our lives right now what we want to be doing? Mm. And that is so important. And we want to know what your answer to this question is. Are you living an emotionally intelligent life? Are you self-actualized in the frame of doing what you want to be doing in your life right now? And guess what? If the answer is no, you're not alone. We are all here right beside you, struggling, trying to find our path, and we also want to know that we're here to support you. So join our Facebook group. We're building a community of women in midlife who are like-minded, who are in this same space of navigating this proverbial midlife freaking crisis. And we're going to tackle life together. Amen. So we cannot wait to hear from you. And we hope that you continue to join us every week right here. Same time, same place, girl, <laughs> as we meet to do this together right in the messy middle. 